Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you on this beautiful Sunday morning and we're thankful for the weather and the warmness and, Lord, just the beauty that is outside. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see and understand the beauty of your great love and how much you have done for us. And, Lord, that you would work within our hearts and within our desires to rewrite them according to your word. We ask that our time here would help us and strengthen us that our worship would not just be on Sunday morning, but each moment of the day through the week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, and to the toddler church and the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 17. Psalm 17. And this psalm is entitled, A Prayer of David. And in keeping with our theme for this year... Uh, I titled the message, A Prayer of Grace. And uh, this is uh, many of the psalms uh, were songs to be sung. This is, uh, David said, this song is a prayer. Uh, 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 He wanted this to be sung unto the Lord. And so as we start here, just... uh, Uh, 15 verses, and we'll read the entire psalm, so follow closely behind me here. Hear the right, O Lord, attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Hold up my goings in thy paths, that my footsteps slip not. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God. Incline thine ear unto me and hear my speech. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of thine eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. From the wicked that oppress me. From my deadly enemies who can pass me about. They are enclosed in their own fat. And their mouth they speak proudly. They have now compassed us in our steps. They have set their eyes bowing down to the earth like as a lion that is greedy of his prey. And as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, disappoint them. Cast him down. Deliver my soul from the wicked which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from the men of the world which have their portion in this life, and whose belly thou fillest with thy hid treasure. They are full of children, and they leave the rest of their substance to their babes. As for me, as for me, I will behold thy faith in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Now, this is a prayer. Now, we have to understand, just putting this in the context of prayer, 
Uh, someone once asked, does God hear all the prayers of the world? Well, God is everywhere. God hears everything. Uh, but God is not under any obligation to hear a prayer that does not come from his child or from a sinner wishing to become his child. God is under obligation to hear the prayers of his children. Uh, I've often used the example, the illustration is, is uh, uh, I, I love children. I'm, I'm very thankful for each little child that comes to our church. And please don't ever uh, get upset or irritated when the little children sometimes make a disturbance in the service because you were once a little child. Amen? And we want them to grow up in church and we want them to think good things about the Lord and understand the Bible and, and, uh, uh, yet any little child says, Pastor, can I have a drink of water? And I'll usually, if the parents are around, uh, is that okay? And get them a drink of water. They say, Pastor, I'm thinking about Bible college. You need to talk to your mom and dad about that. Amen. Uh, you need to, uh, they, there are certain obligations that any of us can fulfill. But when it comes to something really important, only the parents can take care of those things. Amen? And God is a good father. He takes care of his children. He is hearing the prayer, and David is praying this prayer. Uh, sometimes we fall into the habit of working out all of our own problems until something gets big enough that we need God to help us with. Then it's, dear Lord, please hear my prayer. I, I need you to straighten out this mess that I have made. And God is not against that. But if we look at this prayer here overall, David is not praying out of some... Uh, Fear and trembling and hoping that somehow uh, God will uh, do something for him. His prayer is confidence. He is praying for things that he believes and knows that God is going to do. And I, I want to challenge you that true biblical prayer is based upon the words of God. And that God is not here as a uh, fail-safe or as a uh, some type of guardrail that when we get out of the way, then he straightens us out. Prayer is supposed to be how the Christian lives. Uh, we don't have time to go through this. It would be a whole other series of sermons. But the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6 the purpose of the Christian warrior is not chasing the devil with the sword of the Spirit. It is praying always with all prayer and supplication. That is the work of the Christian. And that is the duty of each of us. And David here illustrates in this psalm 15 verses what we ought to be praying for. How we ought to pray. And uh, it's broken up in basically two different parts. Part one is David praying to the Lord and 
pleading with the Lord, and, and that ends in verse 8. And then verse 9, he starts talking about the wicked and the work of the wicked down through verse 14. And then in verse 15... He kind of just sums it all up. You have to remember Hebrew poetry. And even though this is a prayer, it is a poem. And David is trying to express to God in, in the idea of poetry what is not as easily expressed in words. What in normal words uh, we call prose, uh, it would be kind of uh, dead, plain. But as David waxes poetic in these things, we see and can feel, even though we as English do not understand all of the poetry of, and, and types of the Hebrew poetry, we, we do uh, and, and uh, see and should be understanding of the great uh, emotion and power that is here in these verses. So in the first eight verses, David presents God. 9 through 14, he presents the wicked. And chapter 15, uh, verse 15, the ending verse, he takes both of those things and says, Here is where I need to be. Now, I'll tell you what, if we could have that happen, I mean, our Sunday school lesson was about Hannah. Didn't she follow this pattern? She talked about God. She presented her plea before the Lord, and when it was all said and done, she was right where God wanted her to be. And when we talk about prayer, it is not to bail you out, it is not to get you things, it is not to move God or motivate God to do something. We have to remember this about prayer, and I hope you never get tired of hearing it. Prayer does not change God. God cannot, nor does He need to be changed. He is God. The work of prayer is changing us to bring us to a point to where God can give us those things that He wants us to have. And, of course, what God wants us to have at first may not be what we want. Uh, uh, one of the most perverted uh, verses in all the Scripture, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Uh, some of us need to get our wanter fixed, amen? Uh, because it likes the wrong things, it wants the wrong things. And as we read through this psalm, and follow me very carefully here, as we start in verse 1, he starts with a plea, Hear the right, O Lord. As David starts this prayer, he is appealing to God's righteousness and God's holiness. Now, how in the world can you know? David's going to make some pretty fantastic claims here in these first uh, four verses uh, of this uh, 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 prayer here. How can someone go to God and say, God... I want you to hear what is right, and I'm the one that's going to speak it. Boy, that almost sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? But you know, God wants to hear those kinds of prayers. But how can we know that we are right? Well, that's real easy. You be in agreement with God's Word, 
and you know you're right. You know, we live in a world where there's no such thing as absolute truth. You know, I, I don't know how... Some, and the converse of that is mental and emotional disturbance is at an all-time high in the percentage of the population. You want me to tell you why? Because God built man to be based on an absolute unmovable truth. When you... When you take that out from under his feet, he's going to move. Uh, when you uh, remove the foundations, everything else goes with it. And so here David starts out, Hear the right, O Lord, and tend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer that goeth not out of feigned lips. David says, I am praying for that which is right. And I'm not just praying. I'm not just saying words. This idea of feigned is, uh, is purposefully deceitful. I mean, how many times do you... How, some, how are you doing? Oh, everything's great. Uh, I hope you're not among those who believe everything you see on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, they talk about the... Depression that young people in our day suffer because they look at all their friends on Facebook and Instagram and everybody's having a wonderful time and they're not. And so they, they look here and let me tell you, it's feigned. It's fake. It's purposely planned to make you think better of them than they're doing. It's advertising. How many of you have ever swallowed the hook of the advertiser and said, I'm just going to get this thing and, and it's going to be good. And you found out it wasn't good. In fact, it caused more problems than it solved. And, and David is saying, listen, hear me. Hear the right, O Lord. I, I am speaking truth. Attend unto my cry. Give ear unto my prayer. Because, Lord, I am speaking honestly and truly. Let my sentence come forth from thy presence. Now, in the English, that's a little difficult. How can David's sentence come forth from God's presence? Well, uh, we've had a lot in the news about sentencing this week. This, this is how that word is used. David says, God, I want your judgment to come upon me. We go to 1 John chapter 4. You want to use the Bible as a commentary on itself. And it talks about how that we can have boldness in the day of judgment. David had it. He said, I am living according to your word. And some people who try to surmise on these things would simply say, this psalm must have come from Early in David's life, not certainly not after David and Bathsheba and all the problems that were there. Otherwise, he would not be so bold to say this. The Bible does not give us the time of this psalm. But I do want you to understand something. When a person has put themselves under the blood of Jesus, what is the sentence that comes forth from God upon us? 
The Bible word is justification. You want to remember how the definition? Just as if I never sinned. You know, we, we do not well when we come before God and say, I, I just need a little bit here, Lord. I, I, just, I just want you to solve this problem. I mean, we're all like that. I, I tried to upgrade the software on one of our computers and things went desperately wrong. I'll tell you what. Hadn't backed up the hard drive. Or at least I didn't think I had backed. I didn't back up the hard drive. And I'm sitting there going, oh my, we're going to lose all of this stuff. And and I told Hannah, I said, I'm going to the Apple store. I think I've messed up your computer. And she's going, no! And I mean, there's a lot of emotion there. And there well should have been. And I'm sitting there watching the little numbers go and, and saying, Lord, please, just, just one more minute of installation work. We're heading in the right direction here. Happy ending. But an awful sad excuse for a prayer now, wasn't it? You see, God answers our prayers and God helps us when we do things wrong. But God wants us to understand that through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, He has judged us righteous. Can I tell you that is grace? Can we say amen to that? That is what grace is all about. Unmerited favor. God puts upon us the righteousness of Christ. And David here, a thousand years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger, understood the mind of God. In fact, it was said that David was a man after God's own heart. And and he is reflecting that here. It's not because of our goodness of our deeds. It's because of God's grace that we have standing before Him. And He wants us to bring our prayers. I want to tell you something. As a pastor, as an American citizen, as a person that lives in this country, if you care at all about this country, you better learn how to pray. Because all of our freedoms and everything that we love and enjoy about this country is up for sale right now. We don't need a weak need. Oh God, I just hope you could do something here. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 that we're to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy to help in time of need. And that's what David is doing here. He says, let my sentence come forth from thy presence. God, you have judged me righteous because of your goodness and your work and your payment for my sin. Let thine eyes behold the things that are equal. Wow. Would that not solve our problems today? 
You see, we, we have people that judge things by their own standards. Uh, a while back, I was going through an old box full of stuff, and I found a, a fishing knife that my dad had purchased when I was just a little child, probably about eight or ten years old. And I, I still remember that fishing knife because on one side, it, it had a ruler, and it was in black, and it said, For Honest Fishermen. And it measured out about eight, nine inches. And he turned it over and it was printed in red and it said, for dishonest fishermen. And in that same eight or nine inches, I think there are at least 16 printed on the side of that knife. You see, one of the reasons why the world cannot judge things and the world cannot understand is you're using a different standard. They have no attachment to the absolute authority of this book called the Bible. And they judge us as being crazy, old-fashioned, wicked. Anybody that would, would, would call love sin has got to be wicked. Wrong. It's not love, number one. And it is sin because God said so. Lord, behold the things that are equal. Now, verse 3 is an amazing verse. Thou hast proved mine heart. Thou hast visited me in the night. Thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. He goes on, he doesn't stop there, concerning the works of men. By the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. What a statement. If I were to ask the question, how many of us have failed and have sinned since last Sunday, every honest hand would go up. But here David says, listen, you've tried me. You've proved mine heart. You visited me in the night. What he's talking about there is, you saw what I was doing when no one was watching. You read my mind when no one knew what I was thinking. When I thought that I was hidden from the world, you were there. And he said, you're not going to find anything. One of our great problems we have in Christianity today... uh, Peter put it this way, if the righteous scarcely be saved, whence come the wicked? You know, it's time for us as believers in Jesus Christ to stop hanging on by our fingernails and just trying to pull ourselves up to look over the edge of God's righteousness and say, "Ah, see there, I, I at least saw it. The Bible says we're supposed to walk in the Holy Spirit of God each and every day. It tells us that we are to be mindful that the eyes of the Lord are with us wherever we go. And that there is a purpose and there is a direction and there is a living for Christ that is on purpose that is supposed to be the power of our prayers. 
He says, concerning the works of men. By the word of thy lips, I have kept me from the paths of the destroyer. Isn't that incredible? David says, by your words, O God, when I look at the world in which I walk, when I get out of this quiet time with you and walk down the path of this life, my pathway is discerned or directed by the words of God and I have chosen to keep me from the paths of the destroyer. I am reminded of the story that Brother Clayton told of a man that he knew that would only drink one beer a day. That was his allowance. He would go into the town and he would get him a beer and that was it. He never, ever, that anyone knew about, got drunk. On an exceptional day, he might get two, but, but that was it. But all three of his sons were drunkards. You see, he chose to walk on the path of the destroyer. And because he chose to walk on the path of the destroyer, even though seemingly he had no ill effects, those that followed in his footsteps were caught and destroyed by the destroyer. That's why in Hebrews chapter 12, the the writer of Hebrew warns us to make the path straight so that that which is lame will not fall out of the way. People are watching us. People are following us. We need to be very careful. Now, David, in these first four verses, has talked about the goodness of God. He has basically explained his standing before God by the grace of God. He understands that these right choices that were made were because of the effects of the Word of God in his life. His righteousness was given to him by God as a gift because David had surrendered his heart and life to the Lord. No, he did not understand about the cross and the tomb of Jesus. But he understood about God, and he, by faith, chose to follow God, and God saved him. And David understood that standing. Now, these next four verses here, five through eight, David is going to change from his standing, from what God has done in his life, And he's going to begin to ask God for some things. He's going to begin to plead with the Lord. Uh, And we see some uh, incredible words that are in here, some verbs. I always love verbs because they give us direction. They give us energy. And he says, hold up my goings in thy paths that my footsteps slip not. Now, he said here, Lord, by the word of thy lips, by your word, I've kept out of the paths of the destroyer. That that has gotten me to where I am now. But I need you to hold up my goings in thy paths. 
that my footsteps slip not. I read this verse and I think of how God answered this prayer. How many of you remember in the life of David the story of Nabal, the Carmelite? David and his men were hiding from Saul. Uh, This is why Sunday school is important. We're going to be coming up on these stories in the next uh, few weeks. And David was hiding from Saul in the land of Israel. And as he was there, we had this uh, very wealthy man, Nabal. His name means fool. That's what Nabal means. That's the name that is given him in the Bible. Um, And he was, the Bible says, a churlish man. That meant he was mean. He was selfish. He was proud. He only cared about himself. And David's men literally protected he and his flocks in the wilderness as they were out where the pasture was. People didn't live there. And uh, he sent and said, listen, you know, we've done you a great favor. He says, uh, now you're shearing your sheep. And how many remember what Nabal said? He said, every man leaves his king nowadays and does what he wants. I'm not giving you anything. And he rails on those young men. And they come home and they back to the camp. They tell David and David says, yeah, we're going to solve this problem. Put on your swords, boys. There's not going to be anybody left in Nabal's house by the time the sun comes up in the morning. Fortunately for David, a couple of the servants heard what Nabal had said and told Abigail, his wife, And she hurried and she got a present for David and his men. And she took it to him and she met him. And with words of wisdom, she explained to him that he, as the servant of the Lord, should not avenge himself at his own hand. And David thanked her for her wisdom. And God moved in and judged Nabal. He died less than a week later. But I want you to understand that David prayed this prayer. Hold up my goings to thy paths that my footsteps slip not. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He said, There hath no temptation taken you, but as such as is common to man. But God is faithful who... um, Boy, I'm going to... How can I mess that verse up? How many times have I quoted that over the years? Let me just turn there... There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Here's what Jesus said. Lead me not into temptation. When he was teaching the disciples to pray. That's what David is talking about here. Verse 6. I have called upon thee, for thou wilt hear me, O God, incline thine ear unto me, and hear my speech. So many times we pray, God, are you really listening to me? Do you really care about me? Stop and think about that. 
if, if one of my children came up to me and said, Dad, are you, are you listening? Do you really care about me? Uh, that would not be a pleasant exchange, now would it? There, there would have to be some really wrong things going on in order for those words to be exchanged between a, a father and their children. And we often treat God as if He is an indigent father who doesn't care and doesn't do what is right. And yet He is the God of all earth. He is the God who is love. He is the God who has established us in His righteousness. And we treat Him like He doesn't even care about our prayers. How how could you insult God any more than that? These are powerful words that David is talking about here. How that he knows that God will hear his prayer. That his prayer is the the kind of prayer that God wants to answer. Now, uh, Paul told us in in Romans chapter 8 that we don't know how to pray as we ought. The Holy Spirit takes care of that, but the Holy Spirit's not going to do something for you if you're not praying. Even if your prayers are amiss and your heart needs some work, and I'll tell you how your heart can get the work and the, and the direction that it needs, it's in the words of God. It's right there. And so David has said, keep me in the footsteps that my footsteps don't slip. He says, I know that you're hearing me, God. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. Wow, what a sentence. You can't stop anywhere in the middle. Show thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. I mean, David certainly had more than one opportunity to pray that prayer, did he not? He was chased by the Philistines. He was chased by the uh, um, King Saul. Once he became king, the Philistines then tried to uh, come and fight against him again and, and many others. Now, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of the eye. Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. And again, we understand that this is poetry and David is resorting to some of the most precious word pictures that we have. Some have tried to describe this thing called the apple of the eye as being part of your eye. Really, that's not correct. What it's talking about here is looking into someone else's eye and seeing your reflection there. David is saying, God, I want to be reflected in your eyes. I know that you are looking at me. I want to stay there. How do we stay there? By being followers of God as dear children. Remember that verse from last year? That, that's what it's talking about. He says, Hide me under the shadow of thy wings. 
And of course, that's talking about the mama bird with the little baby chicks or whatever they're called, uh, eagles and and even the little uh, prairie hens that run along the ground. Uh, they've often told the stories in the Old West as the prairie friars would move through. Some of, those, some of those fires would come through at 30 and 40 miles an hour and kill every living thing until it burned itself out. It would get to the river and couldn't jump across or some other barrier that was there. And they talk about people who are walking through the burned prairie and they'd see one of them little hens just stuck there, burnt to a crisp, black as tar. Said somebody just gave that dead bird a kick and all of a sudden out from under the wings came all these little peepers going, cheep, 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 cheep. Mama had protected them from the fire. Eagles build their nest at the top of trees and on the sides of cliffs and the storms and the winds will blow and all that Mama Eagle does is take those great big wings and just fold them down. I'll tell you what, better than any house built by man. And David here is saying, Lord, I know that right now I'm the apple of your eye. If I were to look into your eye, I could see my reflection. I could know that you are intent upon me. He says, you're like that mother bird that's going to protect me from the storms and from the fires and from all of these things. Part one, over. Next words, from the wicked. Now we're going to change direction here a little bit. He, he's talking, first four verses, about his position in the Lord Jesus Christ, his position in God uh, as an individual of faith. And then these next four verses, he's saying, Lord, You have brought me here and I want you to keep me in the paths. I want you to hear my prayer. I want you to keep me as the object of your affection, as under your protection. Then he says, from the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who can pass me about. You know, sometimes... Living in this land of freedom and plenty, we forget that we have deadly enemies. The devil is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. We have many who want to take this political discourse and say, it's just people talking. I want you to understand something. When the governor of New York State says that people who believe what the Bible says have no place in this state, that is a statement that ought to strike fear into our hearts. They said that during the Inquisition. And we're not accusing our governor of trying to 
uh, resurrect the Inquisition. But I'm telling you, the happiest day of his life would be uh, the day after the rapture when all the Christians are gone. We need to understand something. The battle is over souls and the battle is for eternity. And we have those that want to defame the name of Jesus and dissuade those who would believe the Bible. And they're willing to use every trick and lie they have. The Bible talks about the fiery darts and the wiles of the devil. We have to understand that this this is not just simply a debate. We all shake shake hands and go home when it's over. We are here to live for the God of heaven according to His Word. And there are those who want to destroy and keep us from living for God. You want your freedoms. Live them. That's how you keep your freedoms. And He says... From the wicked that oppress me, from my deadly enemies who compass me about. Now look at verse 10. They are enclosed in their own fat. Now that is a terrible picture, isn't it? I mean, uh, I, I think of the little Buddha statues when I read this verse. They're just sitting there so fat they can't even move. And, and somehow that's supposed to be good. The, the idea here is, fat is always a sign of wealth and, and uh, uh, incredible resources, overabundance. You know, the devil's crowd never runs out of money to do their things. They always have everything they need and extra. It says, with their mouth they speak proudly. I've even had men who call themselves preachers argue with me and say, well, you look at my church. My church is bigger than your church. Therefore, I'm doing right. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, we got to go back to the Word of God. That's the only thing that determines the difference between right and wrong, my friend. It is not your idea, it's not your philosophy, it's not your resources. God is able to provide. It says, they have now compassed. Look at verse 11 very carefully. They have now compassed. What's that pronoun there? Read it out loud. They have now compassed us. Where did us come from? This is a prayer of David. I wonder if he was thinking about that time that he obeyed God and went down to Keilah and delivered the inhabitants of Keilah from the oppression of the Philistines. And how did they repay David? They contacted Saul and said, David's here and we'll deliver him into your hands. And David ran out of the city of Keilah and started climbing the mountain and Saul and his soldiers compassed them about. They circled the mountain. Saul had 3,000 men against David's 600. The only problem was David could go up the mountain, but he couldn't come down. He couldn't get away. Do you remember what happened? 
at the last moment, a messenger shows up to Saul at the foot of the mountain and says, The Philistines have invaded the land. Why did the Philistines invade the land? Because David had obeyed the Lord and drove the Philistines out of Keilah. And the Lord used the Philistines to protect David, now didn't he? Now look at the last half of this verse, and we're going to go right down uh, here. It says, they have set their eyes bowing down to the earth, like as a lion that is greedy of his prey, as it were a young lion lurking in secret places. Now this is the first half uh, of David's description of the wicked. He's just telling what what they do and how they do it. I mean, the devil is a liar. The, Jesus said he was the father of it. And how they, the, what this is talking about, setting their eyes and bowing down their head is they're pretending to be in agreement with you. They're pretending that there's no danger. It says, but their eyes are set. They're watching I mean, did they ever have an old Western movie without the hero going, looking them in the eye, and the villains looking them in the eye, and they just take the camera back and forth? I always fast forward through that. Just too much. Come on, give me a break. Only in Hollywood. But I'll tell you what it's saying here. They got the plan all set up. And they know you're in the trap. And so they're going to be nice to you and pretend that you're their friend because they think they have you. Oh, we live in a world that's willing to be friendly with the truth of Jesus Christ so that they can get a hold of it and destroy it. Now, here's what David prays against the wicked here. Verse 13, Arise, O Lord, disappoint him, cast him down, deliver my soul from the wicked. And then he makes a strange statement here, which is thy sword. From men which are thy hand, O Lord, from men of the world, which have their portion in this life. And he goes on, and we'll pick this up in a minute, and I'll tell you, you get to that this part of the psalm and the commentators, they just go crazy. Uh, this way and that way. And we, we just told, I just told the story of David and Keilah. What sword did he use to protect David? The sword of the Philistines. Did the Philistines like God? Absolutely not. God allows the wicked to do wickedly. They're going to. Don't expect the wicked to act righteously. But if you want to save yourself from the attack of the wicked, you'd better be under the wings, the apple of his eye. God's going to take care of those who are following his word. And David is saying, I understand your judgment, God, and, 
It was oftentimes during the time of the judges that God used the wicked to judge the wickedness of Israel, was it not? The oppression of the Midianites and the Philistines and the Moabites and the Edomites as they would come in, each one taking what they wanted to destroy and impoverish Israel because they had disobeyed God. And David is saying, Lord, deliver me. Don't let me get into that place where your judgment needs to come on me. Protect me. I understand that they're there. And then he goes on and he describes the wicked here. In the end of verse 14, which have their portion in this life. Whose belly thou fillest with hid treasures. They are full of children and leave the rest of their substance for their babe, to their babes. You know, sometimes we, we get it all messed up. And we, as God's children, pray for the very things that the world has. You see, you, you often hear me condemning this thing called the purpose-driven, this book called The Purpose-Driven Life, because it is the exact synthesis of what this verse is saying. David is saying, listen, I see... The worldlings out there. I see the wicked out there. They have everything. It's been amazing. uh, Just the last two days, I've seen two Rolls Royces. One here in Astoria and the other one was parked in front of the Plaza Hotel. Uh, You would expect that. But, I mean, just all over the place. I mean, how how long has it been since you've seen a Rolls Royce in New York City? Every once in a while, the weather's warming up. The Lamborghinis are going to come out. I mean, the world has all these things. But is that what you want? Why would you spend $300,000 on a car? It's so you can stick your finger in everybody's eyes and say, I got the money to do it. That's the only pride. It's the only purpose. You can't get the thing out of first gear without breaking the law. And I'm talking about on the highways. How do you drive a Lamborghini at 25 miles an hour? I wish somebody explained that to me. These little electric bikes go faster than that on the sidewalks. Okay, enough complaining. Listen. The world has all these things. And you know what? We have some people who believe in Jesus and call upon his name wanting those things. The devil loves to give things to his children because he knows it will destroy them. You know, we talk about the tragedy uh, of... uh, Several members of the Kennedy family were killed in a plane wreck. The the tragic thing of that was he was flying a plane for which he was barely qualified in conditions he was not trained to fly in. And he killed himself and everybody else on the plane. Hey, having everything you want is not a blessing, it's a curse. Now, 
Look at verse 15. David now takes these two contradictory thoughts. God saving the righteous and the work of the wicked. And here is the conclusion of the matter. Here is what it's all about. He says, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. You know what? That statement is not grounded in dollar signs. In possessions. If you were here on Thursday night, we dealt with the passage out of Second Peter chapter 1 that He has given all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Everything we need is in Jesus Christ. And David says, as for me, I don't want those things. He said, I want to behold thy face in righteousness. I want to be able to look God in the face and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to tell you something. One second in eternity. And nothing else will matter. Nothing else will be important. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard and we shouldn't uh, earn uh, the best of our ability. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the drive of our life. What makes us tick ought not be the things of this world. All of the world has these things. The kings of men have always had great possessions, but not great righteousness. David would become a great king and he would have great possessions. He would prepare thousands of talents of gold for the temple. A hundred thousand talents of silver. That's 7.5 million pounds of silver. Thirteen ounces to the pound, forty dollars to the ounce. You figure it out. That is, and that didn't count the gold. That didn't count the brass. That didn't count the wood and the carved stones and all of the things that David prepared. But David said, I, I'm not worried about those things. What I'm worried about is beholding thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied. You know what? The world has never, ever realized those words. You cannot find the meaning of those words outside the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to be satisfied. When I awake with thy likeness. Now, ultimately, that is talking about God's fulfillment of his will for each believer that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. And again, I want you to understand that that is going to be the position of every believer in Jesus Christ in heaven. We will be conformed to that image. The only thing that will separate us when we get to heaven is the rewards. There will be some that have none. 
There'll be some that have many. But David says, when I wake up, when I start the day, I look in the mirror. I don't want to see David. I want to see Jesus. What a prayer. Amen? Years ago, some name it and claim it preacher said, the prayer of Jabez, that God would bless me indeed. And we're supposed to pray that and we're going to have all those blessings. I'll tell you what, forget about the prayer of Jabez. How about the prayer of David in Psalm 17 here? What about the benefits that this prayer would have in your life if God answered it? Could we say amen to that? If not, we'll have to start all over again. It's already 1230. It could be a long day. Little tongue-in-cheek here, but we, we need to get a hold of this truth. It says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. Now, we understand that righteousness does come from Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not our righteousness. It's what he gives us. But that means that we must confess our sins. And as they are committed, we must keep our accounts short with the Lord, as we might say, and not let a whole bunch of things build up in our life. We must walk with the Lord, behold His face in righteousness. And He says, I'll be satisfied when I awake and I am like you are. Is that not the theme of the New Testament? Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples. What? The love that you have one for another? How many of us could use a little more of that love in our lives? I'll tell you what, every one of us could, couldn't we? How many of us could stand to be a little more like Jesus than we are right now? And what I mean by that is how many of us need some work done in our lives so we could be a little bit more like Jesus? You see, that was David's prayer. He prayed, stated the greatness of God. And he said, God, you've brought me to this place. Now I want you to keep me in this place. Because there's an awful lot of people that are trying to destroy me and trying to kill me and trying to stop my ability to serve you. And I want to challenge you. I'm thankful that there aren't men with guns and knives standing outside this church uh, or as in the former Soviet Union in the Soviet bloc behind the Iron Curtain, uh, you would come and sit in church and the goon squads would be waiting there to haul some people off to prison and beat others. And others, they would go to the places where you worked and you wouldn't have a job the next day because you showed up at a church and tried to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have that going on here yet. But our enemy is just as deadly. And his work is the same. It doesn't take a lot of worldliness to make us unsuitable to serve Christ. Don't seek for the things of this world. That belongs to the people of this world. God will give you what you need to serve Him. 
But if we want to understand what real life is about, it is being satisfied with the likeness of Christ. And if that isn't a working definition of grace, I don't know what is. God's unmerited favor that He would transform you and I into the image of His Son. That is the great work that God does. It starts when you get saved. God's not under an obligation to even hear your prayers until you're willing to pray what we call the sinner's prayer in faith based upon God's Word and repent from who and what you are and trust only in the finished work of Christ to save you. It's that simple. But once you're saved, wow, what a position we have in Christ. Robed in His righteousness. Called a Son of God, an heir of all things, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That Jesus is not ashamed to call us His brethren. He has put us here. Let us walk forth from this building this morning and through our lives in this coming week as children of the Most High God. God will keep our feet in the steps that He wants. God will keep us as the apple of His eye. He will protect us under the covert of His wings. Because the wicked do want to destroy us. They have everything they want. And if you get wanting everything they have, you will not be ever satisfied with the likeness of Christ. To be satisfied with the likeness of Christ means the abandonment of everything you know and love. But I'll tell you what. When God gives you His blessings to serve Him, it's better than anything you can get in the world. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, we read this prayer of David. What a prayer. Lord, we ask that you would work in our hearts, in our lives, that we would not just repeat this prayer to repeat this prayer in hopes that something good might happen. But Lord, this prayer is recorded in your word that we might order our thoughts and our hearts by it. And Lord, we ask that each one of us here today that is saved would make that decision once again. That, that we would have a little better understanding of how that works. To be satisfied with thy likeness, to behold thy face in righteousness. Lord, that you would grant that prayer in the life of each believer in Jesus here. We pray for those that are in this room this morning that are unsaved, that they would see their need of salvation, they would understand their sinfulness, that all the things that they could possess will not make them one bit more like Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask you to work in each heart that you would be glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.